You're listening to Financial Insights, a podcast that helps investors through the difficult maze of financial planning and saving for retirement. I'm Brian Ullman, and I'm a financial advisor and certified financial planner at Ford Financial Group. And together with some guests and other advisors at my firm, we're talking about the issues and questions relating to finance that face our clients every day. Well, this may not come as a surprise to you, but we've had another rough week. I've had a rough week in more ways than one, not just with the market absolutely haywire yet again. You can probably hear in my voice, I'm a bit under the weather, but no COVID. I tickled my brain with a Q-tip, got all the way up there for that at-home test, came back negative. So I just have that good old-fashioned elementary school head cold that the kids all come home with now that they're not wearing masks and they're touching everything. Okay, so let's dig into what went on as we finished out the week finishing Friday the 13th, it's nothing to be afraid of, but markets markets were lower again. The major indices finished lower for the sixth straight week, hasn't happened since 2011, and investors remain concerned over inflation, the inflationary impact on the economy, corporate profits, stock valuations, given the April Consumer Price Index report that we got this week. Uh, international equities, uh, both developed markets and emerging markets, lost ground. In fact, uh, emerging markets were the biggest laggard over concerns with the Chinese economic outlook, given the fact that they have these COVID-19 lockdowns uh, continuing. And then on top of that, we had the U.S. dollar stage, a pretty sharp rally this last week. As far as fixed income or bonds are concerned, we take a look at the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. It actually finished higher this last week. As bonds finally caught a bid in the face of steep equity market declines, with the the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond actually falling back after hitting its highest level since 2018 earlier in the week. Some investors are now actually anticipating a softer economic conditions given the Fed's hawkish stance on monetary policy. So bonds finally putting in a bid and uh, helping with some of the diversification that we haven't had yet this year for people. Uh, with portfolios like a 60-40 portfolio that we'll talk about here in just a little while. High-yield corporate bonds, tracked by the Bloomberg High-Yield Index, finished lower for the week, continuing their downward trajectory for 2022, on par with many other things. Uh, If we look at the economic roundup for the week, I mean, the big news was CPI, and we had high consumer price index. The April inflation report, uh, it, it increased marginally higher than analysts expected. Prices in April rose three-tenths of a percent from a month ago, as well as over 8% from a year ago. In addition, prices in some of the service sectors spiked. So that being said, overall, it looks like that inflation is is probably peaked uh, as base effects push the year-over-year metrics down in April relative to March, although we won't know that with any certainty until we have a couple more reports. This could be a sign of – this could show us that we're topping, but – um, it's possible that this is just a one-off report. We need to have this kind of verified as we go through. We also saw some small business challenges reported this week. The National Federation of Independent Business April Small Business Index uh, continues to show that many of the same challenges that have affected small businesses for over a year now haven't dissipated. Both inflation and labor shortages really continue to weigh heavily on short-term expectations. Almost 50% of small business owners are reporting job openings that can't be filled. Uh, Roughly one-third of businesses across the country are increasing capital expenditures, and that's actually a positive sign for economic growth this year. 
If we look at the weekly economic report, initial claims for unemployment insurance for the week ending April 30th came in above the prior week's total as well as economics expectations. But really, historically, this is still pretty low. Uh, and then on top of that, continuing claims declined from the week prior, came in below economist estimates. Continuing claims continue to reach record lows, declining to levels that we haven't seen since 1970. And the data continues to illustrate a very, very tight labor market. No surprises here. I, you know, this is yet again a, a, a difficult week for stocks. I think the only improvement that we really see, you know, tight labor market, inflation concerns, and we, we're running through it all again. Um, now six straight weeks in a row. Year to date, the S and P five hundred is down more than fifteen percent. Dow's down mm, ten, almost eleven percent. The Nasdaq is down more than twenty four percent year to date, um, and that's even after that hellacious run up of a of uh, a little bit more than three and a half, almost four percent here on on Friday. Okay, so where does that leave things, right? Because we're talking about how bonds are starting to stabilize, maybe a little bit. Um, and uh, I, a lot of people talk about a s- traditional 60-40 portfolio. What's a 60-40 portfolio? A traditional 60-40 portfolio is a portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds. On a scale of risk of one to five, one being conservative, five being aggressive, kind of in the traditional sense of stocks and bonds, this is about as middle of the road as you can get. This is probably a three on that five scale. So if we use the S&P 500 index uh, for stocks and the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index or the AG to represent the bonds, the traditional 60-40 portfolio using those two benchmarks is down 14% as of the close of market on May 11th on a total return basis, which would trail only 2008 as the worst year on record if that's where we ended the year, which is not where we think we're going to end the year. But if we stopped here now here in the middle of May, um, it was it would be second only to 2008. Anybody who lived through 2008 or invested through 2008 firmly understands that right now this is not at all like 2008. It's a heck of a correction. It's not 2008. Historically, bonds have typically seen gains during periods of equity volatility, though not always. In low bond yields in 2020 and 2021 and steep bond losses because of rising interest rates in 2022 have led, I think, a lot of people to speculate that the 60-40 portfolio is dead. But there's kind of a silver lining in these declines. The recent stock and bond losses have actually helped valuations to improve for the 60-40 portfolio considerably. And based on a combination of price-earnings ratio for the S&P 500 and yield for the ag, it's been a, it's it's been helpful for valuations. Now, valuations aren't a market timing mechanism, but they're an important consideration for a longer-term return expectations. And that picture, the longer-term return expectations, has improved quite a bit. Uh, I think uh, we heard a lot of talk about the death of the 60-40 portfolio six months or a year ago, and even then it was exaggerated. I mean, we still probably won't get back to the levels of return we've seen over the last decade or so. Uh, but over the last year, the 10-year outlook for the 60-40 portfolio has improved by a couple percentage points annualized. Uh, and so that's about as big of a one-year improvement as we've seen probably in the last two decades. So for the many investors out there whose experience this year has them questioning the value of the traditional 60-40 stock-to-bond mix in their portfolio. I want to look at five things that can provide a little bit of perspective. First, 
what we've seen in 2020 so far is really unusual. Since the inception of the ag in 1976, the S&P 500 has been down over a calendar year eight times. The ag was higher every single time, although only by about one hundredths of a percent in 2018. Those are also the worst eight years for the 60-40 portfolio performance. So from the bond perspective, the ag has been negative four times in its history. It's a small sample, but the S&P 500 was higher every time with an average gain of over 20%. So of course, neither case is holding so far this year, but you can see that there is some diversification benefits that come from having both stocks and bonds in a portfolio. Now, we can get deeper in the weeds, and I will for a minute, because the picture is a bit more complicated when we're looking at quarterly data, because since 1976, the S&P 500 has had 50 negative quarters, and the ag has been lower in 16 of them. And the worst quarter for the 60-40 portfolio not surprisingly, was the fourth quarter of 2008, driven by stock losses. I mean, the, I mean, everything was getting sold in the fourth quarter of 2008. The good, the bad, the baby was being thrown out with the bathwater. The ag was actually higher that quarter, believe it or not. The worst quarter for the 60-40, in which the ag was negative, was the third quarter of 1981, with a 60-40 portfolio down 7.8% that year. Now, as of May 11th of this year, the current quarter would be the worst 60-40 when the ag had a negative quarter, but only the fourth worst overall due to prior quarters that saw heavy stock declines, right? I I think, you know, we're getting uh, statistically in the weeds here, right? But what you can see is that on occasion, both stocks and bonds will fall, particularly if we're looking at it on a quarterly basis. However, most often, we get that diversification that we're looking for in that 60-40 kind of portfolio uh, as these two asset classes move in different directions. Now, number two here is something to consider is that bonds can go down too, even when stocks do. They are not perfectly negatively correlated. So using quarterly data, the historical correlation between the S&P 500 and the AG is the AG, I'll remind you, is the bond index. Uh, it, it the the correlation is close to zero. So stocks and bonds tend to each go their own way relative to average performance rather than moving in decidedly opposite directions, right? If they were moving in opposite directions all the time, they would be negatively correlated. So a perfect correlation is a positive one. A perfectly negative correlation moving opposite would be negative one. The correlation here is zero. So just because stocks are going up or down doesn't mean bonds are going up and down. And it's important to remember that Bonds, just like stock, are perfectly capable of losses. They're investments still. I know we think of them as conservative investments, but they're still investments. The S&P 500 has been lower 27% of all quarters over the lifetime of the aggregate bond index. But the ag, by comparison, has been lower 23% of all quarters. That's a relatively small difference. Uh, The ag's down more than average when the S&P 500 is down for a quarter, about 32% of the time. Which, of course, also means that when the S&P 500 was down, the ag has been higher 68% of the time. So there you go. Diversification is still working for us. Third thing to think about, stock valuations have improved dramatically. Think about this. If you loved that stock at whatever price it was in January, you're going to love it now after it's been chopped 10, 15, 20, 40, 50%. The forward price to earnings ratio, the PE ratio, 
for the S&P 500. So the price you pay for the earn versus the earnings that the company's making as of the end of April 2021 was 21.7, according to the fact set data. Well, this week it was around 16.6. That's an improvement of 23%. So like PEs improve as they fall since stocks are cheaper. So we're talking about being stocks are 23% cheaper or the S&P 500 is 23% cheaper than they were in April of last year. That decline translates into roughly a two percentage point improvement in the annual return expectation of the S&P 500 over the next decade. Although many factors can strongly influence the actual outcome, the point here is that you're not overpaying for these names that you may have been overpaying for a year ago or good gravy even four and a half months ago. That's the fastest one-year improvement in the forward PE since 2009. And we know what was going on in 2008 and 2009. And even with the dramatic decline in PE, S&P 500 still valuations, valuations are still slightly above their historical average. But the improvement here is meaningful. Like We've come back down to earth. And so if you are a young investor, you are finally not having to overpay when you're making contributions to your 401k and you're buying shares of whatever fund you're buying in there or, or adding to your IRA. Fourth thing to think about here is that bond valuations have improved dramatically also. The yield to worst uh, for the ag, which is a measurement, an important measurement for bonds, at the end of April 2021 was 1.51%. We'll call it 1.5%. This week, it reached 3.47%. That's the fastest one-year improvement in yields since 1995. That likewise represents an improved annual expectation return of roughly two percentage points over the next 10 years. Now, there are factors that can make the actual outcome different from the expectation here as well, but the difference is less variable than for stocks simply because you know the price you're going to get for a bond at maturity. So what's going on right now with bonds is going to improve or will likely improve bond returns over the next 10 years. So think about that. It's just because bonds have done poorly here lately doesn't mean you want to run from them in your portfolio necessarily, depending on kind of where you are in life. Uh, the last thing to consider here is that dislocations like these create opportunities for strategic investors. You know, I think one of the things we focus on in this podcast uh, is on the S&P 500 index, probably because it's the most well-known it's widely used, most widely used stock index in the world, but it's not the only area of the market where stock valuations have improved. And some may offer even a better value. So despite its improvement in the S&P 500's PE, it's still in the 73rd percentile of all values going back 20 years, according to FactSet, with the higher percentiles representing less attractive valuations. But there are areas of the market that are in the 10th percentile or lower of all values over the same time frame and sitting near levels only seen during the great financial crisis and in March of 2020. And how how much would you like to go back in time to March of 2020 or February of 2009 and get in on those stocks that were at one of the cheapest levels that they've ever been? Similarly, there are pockets of the bond market that are seeing yield levels that have been relatively unusual in the last decade. So for both stocks and bonds, times when valuations are the most attractive were hard moments to have an optimistic investment outlook, kind of like today. But the most opportune moments usually are. Where we see the best strategic opportunities 
is probably a podcast for another day, but pockets of even more attractive, even extreme valuations do suggest that for long-term investors here, there might be ways to further diversify that traditional 60-40 portfolio. Recent changes in valuations have really improved the outlook for the 60-40 portfolio considerably, both on the stock side and on the bond side. I think I think of the traditional 60-40 really only as a starting point for an appropriate investor. And even if the traditional 60-40 is very much alive, and I think that it is, uh, there still might be opportunities to improve the risk profile of a portfolio, even through greater diversification with stocks and bond holdings, active management, or even just investment opportunities outside of traditional stocks and bonds. I mean, it's been a tough year for, for many investors, most investors even. And I don't think we're in a position yet to call a tactical bottom for either stocks or bonds. But looking out strategically based on better valuations and and still really solid fundamentals, I think the the long-term outlook for both stocks and bonds has brightened quite a bit. Even here, uh, you, you know, we're in the 60-40 example. We're using the S&P 500 for the stocks and the ag for bonds as those indices. But of course, most portfolios hold more than that. You know, international investments, uh, both developed markets and emerging markets. Uh, large companies, small companies, mid-sized companies. And on the bond side, it might be mortgage-backed bonds, corporate bonds, high-yield bonds, um, floating rate bonds. I mean, there's there's a lot more to it than just two ticker symbols in a 60-40 portfolio. But if we use that as our basis here, we can see that the opportunities now at this point are as good as they've been in a very, very long time. If you are a younger investor, this is what you've been waiting for. I can't tell you that we're at the bottom yet, that no one rings a bell and tells you it's time to go, but it probably makes sense right now to to get in on this and take advantage of this opportunity because a decade from now, I think you'll thank yourself. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to go drink hot tea with some honey in it, try and clear out the sinuses a bit, get rid of this head cold, and uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. The advisors with Ford Financial Group are registered representatives with and securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advice is offered through Ford Financial Group, a registered investment advisor and a separate entity from LPL. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Stock investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted. Ford Financial Group and LPL Financial do not provide tax or legal advice or services. This information is not intended as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security referred to herein.